0: I could have been a contender,
1: I could have been somebody. So he's almost like having a second captain, in the <laughs> Second captain, first captain, whatever. They never got on those, those, those boys.
2: Good morning and welcome to our second captain's New Year's Eve special. All oh, my debit here with Murph and Ken, hi guys. Salutations, on. I'm excited, I must say, I'm excited to have this opportunity to say farewell and indeed Good riddance to 2016. Don't let,
3: the, <laughs> don't let the door hit you on the earth on the way out. I'm sure we'll be hearing more about
2: you again in the not-too-distant future 2016. But for now, you can shuffle off there like the relations who have outstayed their Christmas welcome by at least two days. Come on, folks, it's almost 2017. Give your extended family their house back. Happy to see the back of 2016,
1: Ken? Yeah, I think so. I mean, everybody is, although we also can't, you know, fall into the trap of thinking that the year itself was somehow like an evil spirit just a random collection of days we're we're actually the problem
2: here no no i'll correct you ken we're all going to be just fine come this time tomorrow
1: yeah i i think you know for a long time i mean going back a couple of centuries we've sort of dimly perceived what's in our future you know when you go back to uh the first science fiction novel the first great science fiction novel frankenstein Mm. and mary shelley was able to see that, in the end, we would be destroyed by our own machines. Uh, And, you know, this is kind of foreseen in every techno dystopia, you know, Terminator, The Matrix, whatever. Mm. What we began to realize during the year that is just passing is that when that finally does happen, when they do wipe us out, the machines will be the good guys. This will actually come as the liberation (laughs) of planet Earth. (laughs) From um, from people who have just lost their run of themselves.
3: So what are we, what are we talking about here? Robots presenting Liveline? Oh the Joe, no, the JoeBot three thousand. I, I mean, <laughs> give me give me a, give me a timeline for this September
1: twenty seventeen. Liveline Live might be one of the more difficult shows to automate, <laughs> but I think we are we are getting to the point where some shows could, can be done, may even be done better. I mean, I'm not saying that's going to happen in twenty seventeen. Mm. Maybe we'll beat them to the punch. Maybe we'll good, get there so we first. So we win. Okay, good. Yeah, there could, be, there could yet be a last victory in this for us, yeah.
3: I knew that you'd come round with some festive cheer before the end of that Peter monologue,
2: The music world lost four of its biggest icons over the last 12 months. Most recently, of course, George Michael, who tragically died on Christmas Day. Now We've got one of our own country's biggest musical talents in studio in just a little bit. I'm very excited to say James Vincent McMorrow is joining us this morning. James released his third album this year. It's absolutely brilliant. Went straight in at number one. He's also had a big impact in the US and he'll be performing live Right here for us a little bit later on. But let's face it, the key question is what sort of sporting pedigree does he possess? During our second Captain Sunday shows in the Summer Murph, we endeavour to find out just who is Ireland's greatest ever non sports person sports person. So, what sort of company is James keeping here?
0: I could have been a contender, I could have been somebody. somebody.
3: tried on your Lenny Abramson's your Des Bishops your Darrow Breen's of this world but still no one has toppled Gabby Logan off top spot in our this sporting life leaderboard where we rate and rank our guests sporting ability and knowledge for the delectation of our listeners uh, so Gabby is unassailable on 88 points uh, David O'Darty is next on 85 points Irish Times super dork Fintan O'Toole <laughs> dead last on 60 points so 70 is about par can James Vincent McMorrow uh, become Ireland's greatest ever non person sports person?
2: Well, we will find out before this hour is true, huh? I'm glad you mentioned our runner-up, David O'Darty. He's going to join us in studio a little bit later to collect his prize. There is a prize, right? There's a physical trophy as opposed to, you know, just the potent mix of goodwill and sympathy that always comes with a runner's up spot. Well, no, he's, There's no he, he's sniffing
3: around and in, in the absence of Gabby Logan getting on a plane and getting over here, which you'd <laughs> have to say is quite unlikely given she hasn't confirmed her attendance yet, uh, then...
2: <laughs> I think the chances are pretty good that David O'Doherty is going to walk out with something. We've been asking you on Twitter this morning for the weirder presents that you received from Santa back in the day. This was inspired by you, Murphy, and your strange love of office equipment as a young boy. Well, I mean, I was, a, I was a
3: man of extraordinarily low expectations. Uh, on the, the Christmas present that stands out most for me, uh, from Santa or from anyone else, uh, was a typewriter. I mean, we're not even talking about the petite <laughs> 990, which was... <laughs> perhaps the sexiest typewriter on the market when I was uh, a kid. I, I was talking about an electric typewriter, your basic bog standard office equipment. I mean, this is basically where I was shopping in the manual of... Christmas presents, but I was so excited by the... Did,
1: did everyone get office equipment that your dad could use that year, or was it just you?
3: No, 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 that's, uh, that's an outrageous comment. And it was from Santa, Ken, so a totally different thing. Um, John got a, a
1: fax machine.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, that, that's not the case. It was just me that had a weird obsession with, with office equipment. When I went downstairs, my father was very ill on Christmas Eve. Right. I, I, I didn't bat an eyelid at the time Pinky, Retelling the story now it, it seems like Hmm Had he been drinking to excess I'm not entirely sure But uh, So I went downstairs He was asleep on the couch And <laughs> I ran in in the dark I saw that it was an electric typewriter And I, I started Shrieking with delight <laughs> And then said It must be a dream And went back upstairs so That's
1: adorable fo- That's adorable little Murph That's I must nice, say. yeah and, uh, and your father never stirred. He never stirred. Mm. He never stirred.
2: Can't wait to have James Vincent McMorrow in here in just a moment after we hear a tune from one of those musical icons who passed away this year. His death in January pretty much set the year off on a terrible course from which it never really <laughs> recovered. Tweet us at Second Captains, email at secondcaptains.rt.ie. It's the last day of 2016, and this is Second Captains. Young Americans there by David Bowie from 1975 at tune, hopefully to get you in good form for New Year's Eve. Now for this morning's guest, 2016, it's been a pretty special year. He's released a brilliant new album embarked on a phenomenally successful US tour and provided the soundtrack to one of the biggest TV shows in the world in 2016. James Vincent McMorrow, you're very welcome to Second Cabin's. No, it's a pleasure to be here. Way to make us all feel lazy, all the rest of us. You've had a hectic... Yeah, that's not even months. a quarter. Of the I know, I, I, I had a few more things written down <laughs> I thought I'd better pair this back. So it's been a pretty exciting year for you?
4: Yeah, a busy year. For um,
2: I'm happy to not be busy
4: for a second, but it's, yeah, it's been good.
2: You spent the latter part of it in the US on yeah. tour. How do you judge the success of something like that? Is it the size of the crowds that turn out? Is it how how much they're enjoying your new stuff? I guess that'd be a big part of it. Is Is—is there one barometer by which you can say, this was a, an amazing tour?
4: Yeah, I mean, people is always a good, simple mm. barometer. Um, uh, someone was telling me that you can't, like, your brain can't really compute the difference between, like, Oh, once it goes over a certain amount of people, your brain can't tell how many people are there. What is that amount? I can't remember what it is, <laughs> but I feel like it's quite small. It's like a few hundred people. And once you go past it, I mean, obviously, you look at 10,000 people and you can go, like, that's a lot of people, but you don't so and I don't look at the crowd very often because it freaks me out but uh yeah like a lot of people and a lot more hype in the US. The US has always been good for me but always been like not as good as the rest of the world and it always feels like a bit of a struggle just because it's geographic it's just such a huge expanse and you can be there for like a year and get nothing done relatively speaking so um yeah it's just felt good.
2: Towards the end of the tour, you sang on Jimmy Kimmel live. Yeah, this is a massive, uh, obviously one of the big late night talk shows on ABC over there. Over three million people watching it. I saw you describe it as a pretty cool way to end a pretty ridiculous tour. Yeah, how did it go for you?
4: It went good. We didn't meet Jimmy Kimmel, which oh, I no. found to be quite.
1: But you don't you don't get
4: any FaceTime with Jimmy. Kimmel you get at no all. Kimmel time. <laughs> um, it's Incredible. Yeah, I was I, I was surprised. It they they were a bit. Like, it was great. Like, I want to be very clear. It was an amazing experience. And it's really, it's good to tick that box in America. It's like a big thing for them to be like, you've done late night TV. You are on a certain level. But uh, I was a bit bothered. I was like, why didn't he come and meet us? But then a a friend of mine is in, uh, he's in this big acapella thing called the Pentatonics. It's like a massive thing in the US. And they were on the night after us. And he said that he didn't come and meet them either. So I felt a little better because... (laughs) Just hates music. Yeah, (laughs) just just not. Will Smith was in the building and maybe that takes up a lot of energy. That's kind of, Mm. there were a lot of like very famous people in the building. Will Smith came out and gave everybody the finger guns as he was walking by, (laughs) like such a pro. Um, But yeah, that was was the only strange thing about it was that they didn't come and say hi to us. We arrived in and they were like, go. God, I hate Jimmy Kimmel now. (laughs) You've You've always been a Jimmy Fallon guy anyway. Well, yeah. I, I'm a Stephen I like, Colbert. like Stephen Colbert. Yeah. yeah,
2: I'm a fan.
3: So we're agreed.
4: Game yeah. Up. <laughs> now that I've done it, it's yeah, all, yeah. I don't have to do it
2: again. It's yeah. fine. We can say whatever we want. <laughs> you were touring right through the election. Yeah. How was that experience for you?
4: Really bizarre. Um. Really like surreal. You couldn't describe it. The next morning when we woke up in Washington DC, I went to a coffee shop, and it was like every just everybody had suffered a, a loss in the family in the entire city. No one. Talked. It was just bizarre. And did you have to play a gig that night then? Yeah. To this shattered city. Yeah. Yeah. The statistics in Washington D.C. were like seventy-six percent or eighty percent voted for Hillary. Oh, even Clinton. even more, more. Like almost yeah. everybody in, in D.C. I yeah. Like the most. So you you know you know you're speaking to a crowd that definitely if they voted they didn't vote for Donald Trump, and it's hard to know what to say because it's not my job and it's not the show's job. You know what I mean? It's not. I don't think people are coming to the show from my political leanings. They want to forget what just happened. So we played a show in New York the night before the election and it was like everyone was filled with hope and it was, it was a very hype show because it had been sold out way in advance and it was a big, big room. So there was obviously this kind of sense of everybody was excited and that was our benchmark. And then two days later it was like the world had fallen apart so the crowd were pretty good, all things considered, I think,
2: yeah. You were there at this time in the US to promote the new album, We yeah. Move, which is it's absolutely brilliant, first of all, congratulations on it. The lyrics... I know, are a lot more personal to you. Is that the right way of describing it? a lot yeah, more personal to you than pretty, they have been before? pretty fair to say, yeah. You described, there's this is one song in particular, I Lie Awake Every Night. You described this as the hardest song, sorry, you're doing a sort of Twitter Q&A job and somebody's asking the hardest song to write. So this is the hardest one, drawing from a place in my life I never thought I'd talk about publicly. Yeah. Uh, this is an eating disorder that you yeah. had when you were a teenager. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, what, We're talking sort of 13, 14?
4: Yeah, sort of from the ages of like maybe 14, 15 until... Like 18, 19, I think, is sort of when it kind of got it under control. But um, it was like ebbed and flowed, I think, over those years. But definitely between 15 and 17 was like at its like lowest point for me. Anorexia. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just I've like always been a quite a introverted person. And I think when you mix introversion with like childhood, it can be quite a... If you are not the most self-possessed person, it can be quite, like, challenging. And it just was challenging for me. And it was just that thing that gave me that sense of, like, control in a world that I didn't necessarily feel like I had any control over. Um,
2: What do you mean? So you you felt like you didn't have control over what was going on around you. Yeah. But in this one way, you could... You could affect yourself. Yeah, I think we like,
4: we, I mean, we, uh, like I grew up in, in Dundalk. I was born in Dublin, but grew up in Dundalk. And, and sort of my early experiences were like there, which were all quite positive. Like, you know, my parents are from, my dad's from there. And, and it was very warm and nice. And then we moved to Malahide in Dublin, which was a very different energy for someone like me. And I'm just not that kind of person that's like, when I was, talking to you yesterday about sports and different sports that I played. I used to play a lot of football when I lived in Dundalk and then we moved to Malahide and people were just so showy and, and, and sort of um, quite just, I don't know it was just a different energy. I don't want to throw like Malahide under the bus. It's <laughs> the place I grew up and I, and I love it but um, it was hard for someone like me and So yeah like You know eating disorders Come from a place of like You want to control things Like it's a You can control yourself You can control what you eat And that's the basis of it So like if you were Feeling unhappy That was sort of my I guess my anchor At that point in my life Not a healthy
2: anchor But one nonetheless So there was no Specific trigger point As such It's not it's not as simple As somebody says to you no. Makes a comment to you And then, it's, then something Goes off in your head No I mean yeah, People would make
4: comments to me Like I wasn't like An overweight kid I wasn't a skinny kid But you know Again being quite introverted like you know certain kids sense that and kind of want to take it on and and sort of attack it so i guess that's what happened to me um and i just wasn't very well built to to defend like who is at whatever Mm. age you know so um you know there it was a hard time in my life how did you start getting better um i mean the whole the whole idea of like some sort of dysmorphic disorder is like it's chemical imbalance like what you see necessarily isn't what other people see or what you see in a mirror isn't necessarily reflective pardon the pun of like what is actually there so a big part of it was like learning to trust that and then trust other parts of my brain i guess rewiring myself i think to a degree to just learn my moods learn that you know i'm a a musician i'm difficult the best of times so like just learning to trust my mood could necessarily could dictate how I felt about certain things. So like when those triggers were happening, just see them and take a step back and just allow it to subside
1: before you make any decisions. Yeah. yeah. Were you um, already a musician at that stage, sort of in your mid teens? Kind of um, I, I
4: was in a very passive sense. Like I was almost in kind of like the Irish, everybody has a guitar kind of way. It wasn't like, it, it was my calling, I think. I had a love of music that felt pretty deep to me but everybody's love of music as a teenager feels really deep you know you hear lyrics and you're like oh, I I'm gonna get this tattooed on my face like it's just <laughs> everything is deep and and visceral and I had that sense about music from a very early age when my mom would play Elvis Costello and she would, or my you know my dad would play Neil Young I had that sense but I just felt like it was everybody else's but when I got to about 17, I started playing the drums. And I think that definitely helped a lot because it was definitely like gave me a like a friendship base that I'd never had before that was based on music, this thing that I loved. And that was a huge help to me as a new anchor, I guess, like since that point, like music has has been the anchor for me.
1: When I think about your kind of style, uh, I mean, you've you've got a kind of. I would say there's emotional vulnerability in the music. Um, I think back to sort of that late, mid, late 90s period. There's Britpop, boastful hip hop and boy bands. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's kind of a lot of sort of conformist uh, masculinity and so on and so forth the stuff which basically seems to have absolutely leave no trace in the music that you do today it seems, I don't know if you've ignored it all the time or No,
4: no I definitely I think like probably collectively all of our late teenage years the music was at it's probably worse in the mainstream capacity like you know, new metal and it was like pretty boastful but like what, so. a, what
1: about even you know playing or performing that kind of music? It, it is kind of vulnerable like even the, the falsetto kind of voice you know did you kind of uh, did it take you a while to work towards that or were you worried that you'd have balls thrown at you? <laughs> you you know what I mean like yeah. it's kind of a slightly more macho edge to the culture then
4: yeah I, I mean I, I the thing I would say is that I kept my voice pretty much to myself until I felt like I was able to hold my own like on stage especially like I, I, it took me a while to build enough of like a understanding and enough confidence, I guess is the the basic word to use um, to to get on stage and perform like that with a sense of vulnerability. And the thing I discovered was that it's actually the easiest place for me to be, Um, even though it was difficult in the beginning because I wasn't a very good performer, I still love being on stage and there's actually quite a strong sense of it actually is kind of like your home.
2: You said you hid that voice away until you reckon it was good enough. Yeah. Can you remember the moment you actually allowed yourself to be heard by other people? Yeah, I
4: think it was around like 2006, 2007, probably. Mm. So like relatively recently, like my musical life, I think I probably put stuff on Myspace and that definitely was the great enabler of a lot of musicians around that time because it was very it was before the internet became a dark, dark place for social media and stuff. So it was like you put stuff up and people were very affirming and they were like, mm. oh, this is great. And I got a, I signed my publishing deal quite quickly after I put stuff up on MySpace. That was around the time that I'd started performing properly. I'd probably done one or two shows before that and people had liked it, but I had no sense of whether they were all friends and family, so you can't really trust them. So it's, it tends to be people that you don't know that give you the truth in the beginning. Um, Yeah, I put stuff on my space and, and I got a lot of responses very quickly, like from a lot of like serious people, you know, the heads of publishing houses in the US and UK and stuff like that. And people were flying over to see shows, the first shows I ever played. So I knew pretty quickly that, you know, like, I think I have this.
2: It's interesting then that, that it's taken until now, Well, some people, you're within your rights never to talk about having an eating disorder, for example, or anything like that, but it's taken you until maybe your third album, lyrically, to get to where you are, a place where you can actually tell the truth about yourself and reveal a lot about yourself. What is it about the time of your life that you're at at the moment that you felt you were able to... Not just, because for a musician, you're not just writing down a song and leaving it at that. You're performing it yeah. night after night and, and putting the same emotion into it.
4: Yeah, I, I think it's a process. I think for me, as someone that's always been sort of slow and steady. And I think I lost a lot of those years around like 15, 7, 16, 17, which were quite formative. So it meant that I was, I felt like, f- and know f- for a fact that I was sort of behind the, the curve in a lot of my peers since, you know, I have friends that were great musicians when they were nineteen, twenty kind of peaked and I don't aren't, aren't musicians anymore you know they were just and whereas I was sitting in my house you know trying to figure out a way that I could say the things I wanted to say but also protect myself um, and be the musician I wanted to be in a way that was good enough that people couldn't mess with it you know people couldn't question it or whatever and um, so that was a process and it's still a process so even though I'm three records in and I've had an immense success every time I make a record I kind of learn something new That again sounds really cliche, but it's true. Um, I've learned a lot of stuff about myself and what you know, what what I'm in this for. Why are we doing the jobs that we're doing? Like I've I have my dream job, and I think sometimes you can be quite passive to that. When you know I can get on stage and sing, and I I can probably sit behind a piano and sing anything. That's a trap that you can fall into where you think, oh, I'm just I'm doing the right stuff here because people are showing up to the shows, but. It was the songs every night that people were responding to the most and the ones that I would respond to most that were my favorites. And they tended to be the ones where I hadn't worked really hard to hide myself in a song or a lyric or or hadn't like succumbed to something during the making of the record that I knew at the time was a bit like not my I wasn't giving it my everything. So
2: you were disgu- you were just hiding bits or you were, you were disguising Yeah, I think Yorkshire it's human icons.
4: nature, isn't it? It's like, you know, yeah, what well, we all do it pretty yeah, much yeah, every yeah, day. Yeah. <laughs> and especially in music, we can you can the sense of profundity is quite easy to attain. <laughs> yeah, like, okay, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I could talk about, a, you know, a mountain and people would be like, what is he talking about? <laughs> and sometimes uh, it's sometimes just the, a mountain. And sometimes the mountain means something and, you know, some like sometimes they like, you know, it's it is a good way to be to write a song like that or to write a piece like that, it it works. But it's almost like law of diminishing returns for me. It's like, yeah, I've said that. I can't say it anymore. So need to say something new.
2: Okay. Well, listen, 2016 has clearly been a hell of a year for you, James. Your music career is going from strength to strength. But what about the career of athletic glory that you left behind up next? That's all we're here for. (laughs) On second Captain's New Year's Eve special, we get stuck into this sporting life of the brilliant James Vincent (laughs) McMurrow.
1: RTE Radio 1 what a chance what a chance that was well is that it Have we seen the moment pass
3: what it might have happened let's hope not o'lahan into the penalty <laughs>
2: Is that the best moment of 2016? It might well be Robbie Brady's goal against Italy in various commentaries there, including our own George Hamilton, complete with the backing track of Rising Water from the superb new album We Move by this morning's guest, James Vincent tomorrow I hope we haven't caused you great offence by putting Ronnie Rubin and George <laughs> Hamilton over your... Lovely uh, June.
4: On the contrary, <laughs> I think if anything, it enhances it.
2: <laughs> our company our comedy hero, David O'Darty, still to come on this Second Captains New Year's Eve special. You can email us at secondcaptains.rt.e, tweet at secondcaptains. We will get to your sporting pedigree, James. But musically, there have been a number of icons, unfortunately, who have passed away this year. Bowie, Prince, Leonard Cohen, most recently, of course, George Michael. Did you feel any particularly strong connection to any of those four?
4: Uh, Prince, Prince. definitely. I think that they all had a, a place in my in my life at certain points, but Prince is the one that second you heard him came over. What did you like about him? Uh, what's not to like about Prince? It genuinely, like he he had kind of had everything, and I think as as a musician that always wanted to try and learn a lot of things and you know play a lot of instruments and and sing a certain way. I think Prince kind of had everything that someone like me could could want. I, I, he just self-possession like confidence every single movement was like this is the greatest thing you're ever going to see it came out of every pore of them didn't it? it was just in my opinion the best musician to have ever lived
1: how much of then the greatness of the musician was is his music and how much of it is everything else besides um i think that it's a it's a lot of both i think
4: look at it this way there was two musical icons that kind of came through at the same point prince and michael jackson When Michael Jackson passed away, it was a tragedy and everybody talked about these incredible records. And when Prince passed away, it was an incredible tragedy and everybody and their mother talked about the musicianship that everyone, you know, it it, it felt different. I don't know what it was. It was maybe the fact that he was playing instruments and Michael Jackson wasn't. and, And it was like Prince would get behind a drum kit and just like play a solo. The stories about him were unbelievably brilliant like I have some crew members that have worked for Prince and they have some amazing stories can about you me. reveal any uh, I mean there was just there's one story because he used to mix a lot of his shows a lot what you're hearing isn't what people are hearing out front even though you technically are so he would mix his shows a lot and it would annoy his engineers which would mean that mm-hmm. he would turn over quite a lot of engineers but he had this flight case which was like velvet lined and had a seat in it and like a monitor I think and lights um because he's playing these enormous domes and he would his band would vamp midway through the shows and he would get in this case, get pushed out to front of house and mix the show and then come back. <laughs> <laughs> and I always thought that was a joke, but I mean, I have it on good authority and I've seen photographs of it. It's, it's a real thing. That's to me, <laughs> pretty mind blowing and yeah. amazing. Like that at one point, like you might be watching the show,
2: and then you look behind you, and Prince is like <laughs> on
4: the board. Like that's <laughs> a genius.
2: Okay, well that is the preamble out of the way. Now to the meat of the chat here. Before the music took hold. Yeah, James. Did you play any sport?
4: I played a few sports. Yeah, uh, I played. I played football. Um, Actively up until I kind of moved to Dublin, and then. Sorry, when you say football, Laird. do you mean Gaelic football or soccer? Oh, soccer. Sorry. Right, okay. Sorry. The, I was going to say soccer, scary. and then I thought we're not in America. He's <laughs> <laughs>
2: literally had months of this of having to. James has Change changed the language. He went to. Yeah, America. I know. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, why yeah. I didn't say it. I was like people, <laughs> like, people would be like, "Oh, James thinks he's <laughs> a he's yeah, fancy yeah, now, huh?" So you did play when you were in <laughs> Dundalk, in yeah, Dundalk, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what Celtic, Rock Celtic, okay. You might have former teammates listening here. What what sort of position?
4: Uh, midfield.
2: What kind of midfielder? All action, Roy Keane? Uh,
4: no, I for a pass. I like I to sit back in the... Pa- no, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? You were like six, run around <laughs> aim, run around aimlessly until someone told me to move.
2: You you moved to Dublin. Yeah. So if you didn't play football in Dublin, then what? Did you take anything else up? Well,
4: yeah, I went to school in Sutton, Sutton Park, which was tiny. It was like 250 students in the whole thing. So we didn't have a lot of like sports that we excelled in, but we played a lot of hockey. And I was pretty good at hockey, I think. I don't play anymore, so I couldn't take. But I <laughs> at I, the time. I feel at the time I was pretty decent.
2: Well, what's the highlight of your... Have you got a highlight of your career?
4: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, don't, I didn't score a lot of goals. I wasn't, I'm not a, like a glory hog. I'm happy to, like, like I say, eye for a pass. <laughs> happy to, like, pass the ball off and let someone else take the glory. But I did score a good goal against Dundalk, which was nice because it was my, my hometown. And they were quite mean to us when we rolled up. <laughs> 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 and also it was... I feel like I feel like maybe I like came into my own that day because it, the where Dundalk I don't know what the school's called Dundalk Grammar maybe I can't remember but it's near the harp factory and the smell of harp is it like is quite strong and I'm quite used to it because I grew up around it but the rest of the team from like Dublin were like what is this smell we cannot cope with it it's so strong and it's such an unusual smell so I feel like I, I like kind of stepped up that day yeah you really. took them by the hand yeah I really and, yeah. did I was like I got this guys I got this so uh, I just score a goal. And then save the goal on the goal line by it hitting my head and knocking me unconscious. What so the hockey, hockey? The hockey ball to the hit face. You in the yeah, yeah. It's just quite an unpleasant oh, no. experience.
3: But you got the W. I that's did. All, that's that's all, all that matters. matters. We yeah. did
4: get beaten in the next game, but um, <laughs> but it was a, it was a glorious moment for me.
2: Were you at home for the Robbie Brady goal, the biggest uh, moment of twenty six uh, of Irish sport in 2016?
4: I was doing these shows down in a place called Connolly's of Lep, which is just in outside Cork. Cork. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to do some shows to kind of warm up before we started. So. Um, the guys down there just offered the venue so we announced these shows like the day before and it was really good fun but we didn't realise that we had scheduled it for the early match I think at the time we kind of thought it wouldn't matter anyway because we'd been it was kind of obviously the prevalent sense was that it wasn't going to go our way um, so we dragged essentially everybody was in the bar across the road that had TVs it was an amazing moment because we literally like he scored the game ended we ran across the street Walked and right onto the stage Because obviously There were an amount of people In the venue That hadn't come over But there was a lot of people there And they were kind of Looking around Going
2: should we go But they saw me So they were like
4: I feel like It's going to be okay It's probably not going to start Without him
3: No, so. yeah. if we watch him We should be okay Yeah,
2: We have a couple of Messages into us here One from Susan and Tralee Hi lads How have you not asked James About his version of Wicked Game Being used on Game of Thrones By now And Micko says Does James prefer his music Being played over Robbie Brady's goal On second captain's Or on Game of Thrones <laughs> <laughs> Well, we won't take it personally if you go for, you know, the biggest TV show in the world. Or whatever <laughs> yeah, it is the they're moment. both pretty, yeah, both. Do you see like anyone
3: it. from Game of Thrones in the studio though, James? Is what I, you know, on the other hand. I don't. You know? They have never
2: taken the time to invite me onto their <laughs> show. So I must say there was great excitement in my house about, I say my house, I was very excited about <laughs> season six of Game of Thrones. Yeah. And I was like, oh Jesus, James Vincent doing the uh, has done the music for this clip. What, in a situation like that. I guess they ask you for your music. Do you just hand it over? Do you do you ask what exactly are you doing? Were you were you a fan of the show?
4: Oh yeah, huge fan. Um it's the only every now and then a show comes along that I'll watch like as it's happening. Every other show I'm like, oh wait, watch it massive binge. But uh yeah, I watched this from the start. I love it. Um it was a real simple process. Like they just hit up someone that works for me and said that they they wanted to use it. It was a very simple interaction. Put it this way, those kind of they never come to you with, this is what it is, do you like it? Shows like that. Like, I've had one or two other moments in my life where, like, big things like that have asked to use music. The one that got away on that level was, like, I, they were inches away from using a song off my first record in the series finale of Breaking Bad. Oh, oh right. really? Yeah.
1: Like, the series finale? Though. Yeah, like okay. the last ever
4: episode. Oh. And uh, the creator of the show decided that on count back. he didn't want any music in the scene at all. So literally, like, a day before they used it, I Would, told anybody. So it was like, because it wasn't like, uh, everybody come to my house, watch this so, thing. Would thing. You that have could prefer- have been so awkward. Yeah. <laughs> Would you have
3: preferred to have been replaced yeah. or... No, or, it, no the it, fact that they didn't his, use oh, music. No, If they had no, replaced yeah, no. me, I would have. <laughs> that would have been, been devastating.
4: Yeah, because
2: it was. in everybody's obsession at the time. Murphy, you should have all you need by now. I'm sure the poor man can wait no longer. Could you please put him out of his misery and rank this sporting life of James Vincent oh, McMurray
0: yeah. You don't understand. I could have had class. We don't have stars in this
2: game, Mr. Weaver. Oh,
0: what do you have then?
2: People like me.
0: I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody.
3: after pretty much non-stop abuse from my scoring system throughout the eight (laughs) previous editions of This Sporting Life, I have decided to change absolutely nothing about it on because it's my algorithm and I can do what I like with it. A quick refresher course for our listeners. I will judge. Some would say harshly. Others would say arbitrarily. I would say fairly. (laughs) Our guest James Vincent Vincent McMorrow on the following categories. The sporting highlight of your career, your current sporting ability and your overall sporting knowledge. So Gabby Logan still on top. Fintan O'Toole is last. Somewhere in the middle lies respectability. So, uh, <laughs> James, surely the sporting highlight of your career was that school's hockey game in Dundalk. You're still known as the Terry Butcher of the school's hockey world oh, as a result. Wow. So I'm going to give you 80 points for that. Okay. Uh, current sporting ability, it sounds to me like the transient life of a touring musician is not necessarily compatible with a high-level sports career, but the good people at Rock Celtic in Candy Loud still speak in all the tones of your Santi Orla <laughs> style midfield promptings. And that ability still got to be kicking around in there somewhere. So I'm going to give you 73 and a half points for that. OK. And as for overall sporting knowledge, your unswerving dedication to the Ireland Euro 2016 cause. You even delayed a gig for Robbie Brady. So I'm going to award you 73 points out of a possible 100, bringing you to an overall score of 75.5%. And just to show that I'm a decent skin, I am going to round that up. To seventy-six percent. Wow! Thank uh, you for you. like so the
4: pitchfork of uh, <laughs> sports rankings. <laughs> well, wow! Where does he
2: stand? Let's, let's
3: so James Vincent McMorrow, This has been your sporting life. So where does James Vincent McMorrow lie? Fifth out of not na- out of nine hard. scores. Okay. So that that is the very definition right the of middle. mid-table
2: okay. respectability. Right. All the talk uh, was being knocked unconscious as I a feel kid blocking a goal.
4: Yeah, I feel like my current sporting ability is better than Gabby Logan's. <laughs> Gabby Logan's <laughs> in the Commonwealth
1: Games. Yeah.
4: Okay. Mm, okay. She She's got a, there, an, yeah. actual an actual 40. proper athlete. Okay. We,
3: we even, even tried to handicap the scoring system in somewhere to take into account that she is an actual athlete. But okay. I, we may have failed. <laughs> I think what we've learned
2: today, folks, is that... What did we learn from today's show? We love James Vincent McMorrow. I think we've learned that. We hate Breaking Bad. Yeah. I'm Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Particularly D- Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> no, oh, just say Pim- hello to the man. He's playing Garton. music. He's playing brilliant music on your show. <laughs> <Yeah>. Here's the <to inaudible> 2017. Finger gun thing you were saying, Will Smith. Yeah. Will Smith's finger guns kind of made up for it. <laughs> everybody yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. got <laughs> finger gun by Will Smith. Round of applause, please, for James Vincent McMorrow everybody. <laughs> There you go, Oliver's Army by Elvis Costello here on our second captain's New Year's Eve special. You, uh, James Vincent McMorrow has taken his place in mid-table in our esteemed Disporting Life table. It seemed... Reasonably plus by the honour But there you go Just a reminder that James Will be singing out the show So stay tuned for that And since Gabby Logan Was unable to get on a flight to Dublin We must present her at This Sporting Life oh, Year-end award Goodness <laughs> To David Second place is the best place Oh Darty! Hi David, how are you? Congratulations David With The view
5: from up here Close to the pinnacle <laughs> Is really stunning um, um, I mean But I mean There was a certain degree of debate Because she was a proper athlete She, mm. she was in the Commonwealth Games yeah. Whereas I was obviously west west of Ireland flatfish champion in oh we remember the ter- we remember
2: the turbid S- conversation. So, from so
5: I mean, who's the? I, I should have won it. Basically, Thanks. I was going to launch a huge legal action if Logan <laughs> turned up here. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to block her from coming into the building.
3: Well, the title was greatest ever non-sports person, sports person. So. Technically
5: speaking, I mean, I think you've actually got a pretty watertight legal case here. And I managed to beat Darryl Brien, who actually played for Wicklow Miners. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for, so, for a half. So Flatfish, catching two turbot beats, <laughs> playing <laughs> a half for the Wicklow Miners. Oh,
2: my goodness. What was your, we were talking about Christmas presents earlier on. David. Mm-hmm. What was your own dream presence as a child? And did you receive it, more to the point?
5: <laughs> well, I wanted uh, a lot of bikes, Uh, All the bikes. Well, well, I was obsessed with bicycles, so Mm -hmm. it was a new bike every year, and it was it was a strange era growing up in the eighties because into the early nineties because there was a new bike because BMXs came along and then mountain bikes came along and then racers came along. So there was a, a slightly different variety of bike, and now that I am a grown up and. I have now bought myself all those bikes. (laughs) They actually blocked the view of the television. It's uh, it's too much. Boots was the other thing. I mean, as a uh, a potentially great athlete, Mm -hmm. I definitely wanted the best footwear. But then I was in the sports shop recently, like the poshest boots you could get. When I was at my peak, say thirteen, were probably something like World Cups Adidas ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, Frank Stapleton had a pair. I mean, that's going a little further back. But now it's five hundred quid for the messy, messy boots. <laughs> are 500 they're five hundred. They're not actually five hundred. They are five hundred quid for you know, the other ones that look like little green wellies. Yeah, 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 the Ronaldo yeah. ones. They are five hundred quid for those. Oh my god. So I mean, what a world. Luckily. <laughs> Luckily I came that's into my That's the worst peak. thing
3: To have happened in
2: 2016 If you ask me There are football boots For sale For 500 quid <laughs> What was the best thing That's happened in the In David already Sporting universe In 2016 Rob, Robbie Brady's goal
5: uh, I mean A lot of my performances Were very good this year I <laughs> continue to defy The years Playing some great 5 aside. Uh Did I catch fish I just caught a mackerel This year Was the only Is that, Sorry Sorry, I I'll have to explain again
2: Is mackerel lower On the yeah. no, Food no, chain No no m- Mackerel's
5: turbid. cinched you bait. There's times of year when You I mean if you They best, jump into the boat Yeah you stick a sock in the ocean And <laughs> they'd all just swim into You've it You've
2: actually caught a mackerel During this conversation <laughs>
5: that's, that's how and easy that, it is That mackerel's called Owen McDevitt <laughs> uh, The uh, I like the I enjoy a fairy tale mm-hmm. So I guess Connacht And uh, Leicester I mean the Irish rugby team thing Was great uh, I hate to I mean, so our, the, our, we forget now, but the rugby team didn't have that illustrious the first six months of the year. Mm. Mm. And then mid-year, everything changed. Mm. And mid-year, I did a gig for the Irish rugby team ensconced in their hotel okay. just before the trip to South Africa.
3: Coincidence or O'Doherty something more? already was
5: called in. Yeah. And... Yeah, at the time, like it's a very strange gig because normally I perform to grown-ups if I'm doing grown-ups gigs or kids if I'm doing... Because I write children's books as well, so do stuff for kids. But this was that tricky... (laughs) No it's a very strange gig because they're literally sitting around a sort of hotel big huge big hotel room with um, and some of them are connected to these kind of like do you ever see the wrong trousers with Wallace and Gromit those sort of electrical legs that are connected to physiotherapy machines that are so it's like sort of geriatric robots yeah, and I hope I'm not breaking the omerta of the team room now. No, I'm sure. I don't think oh, so it's
2: really a tricky. They, they treat injuries. That's,
3: that's it's a, they're
5: they're treating injuries.
3: Before I begin, can uh, Jamie Heaslip hear me in the cryotherapy chamber? Because <laughs> I've got some great Jamie Heaslip related material, that sort of thing.
5: <laughs> yeah, and uh, like I'll say that it, it's it's a it's a mixed group. As in, some of them really loved it, and some of them were staring at me. I believe the term is like they were trying to crack a safe. Still just that <laughs> De- But I think what came across for me was just we, You only live once Express yourselves Because yeah. that's certainly. I don't remember saying those words But you but may have told it at some stage Prior to the meeting And that's what they went and did then mm. S- South Africa And then subsequently for the rest of the year I know, I know that we beat the All Blacks in
3: Chicago And that was an extraordinary occasion But did Ireland's decision to stay in the Trump Hotel in Chicago Ultimately tilt the election decisively I mean Because we all know Devon Toner is regarded very warmly By the Irish American community
5: <laughs> uh, That night I had a gig Uh, And so I attempted to get out of the gig, but it was a big gig. Lots of people bought tickets and from the vibe in the room, a lot of those people didn't know Ireland were playing the All Blacks that night. Mm -hmm. But if you remember, there wasn't a great confidence that we were definitely going to win. In fact, I (laughs) seem to remember a a member of the second captain's team saying that we would lose by at least 20 points. Mm -hmm. No,
2: no, no. That member of the second captain's team said we would he we, hoped we, lose, take, but we would yeah. gladly take and be delighted with a 20 point defeat. That was the <laughs> aspiration. <laughs> so I uh, was, I went on, introduced a special guest
5: with Ashling B and always, it's always a good thing to listen to the, your special guests, see how they go to get the vibe in the room. This is in Vickers Street in Dublin and it seemed to be going well but I couldn't hear exactly because I had headphones in. I was listening to Michael Cochran, the true voice of all sport in the world doing the commentary on the match and so we go what two three tries up in that and then it's the break of the gig and then so i'm trying to delay the second half as late as possible <laughs> like could we cut the price of drink at the bar can we just keep these people there for and then it started to go really badly wrong so when i went on stage it was the same old story it was back to what was it six points or something and it was, oh, well, not to worry. Oh, I'll go out and I'll raise the spirits. And then about 20 minutes into the gig, yeah. a man in the audience shouted,
1: We've done
5: it! he had obviously been secretly watching <laughs> on his phone. And then the best part was um, Ashling B, uh, the, the special guest, had written the score on a paper aeroplane and flung it out through a gap <laughs> in the side of the curtain. So as the man shouted, we've done it, this aeroplane landed beside me and I opened it and it said that uh, Ireland had beaten the All Blacks for the first time in 111 years. So that became the discussion then for the rest of the gig, pretty much.
2: David O'Darty, congratulations on your second place finish on our leaderboard I know it's been a big honour thanks so much for coming into the studio thanks guys <laughs> it's, it's okay I'll, I'll I'll take the garland the always brilliant David D'Arty is playing Whedon's from January 5th to 8th Whedon's in Dublin so do call in and see the great man in action David Odarty, thanks so much for coming in Happy New Year thanks very much to Kira Murphy on sound today Mark Morgan and Simon Hick produced thanks Murph thank you Owen thank you Ken
1: Thank you, thanks, thanks very much for listening
2: bigger. have a brilliant new year Second Captain Sunday by the way will be back in 2017 so we will chat to you then in the meantime if you want to stay in touch tweet us at Second Captains this show has been all about James Vincent McMorrow sure he came 5th in our list of non-sports people sports people but can David O'Darty here or Gabby Logan do this what are you going to play for us James? Uh, I'm going to play Purple Rain by oh, wow. sounds good <laughs> sounds suitable apt and good to play out the show play out 2016 with Purple Rain by Prince James Vincent McMorrow take it away
4: I feel like Gabby Logan can do this. I don't know why.
0: <laughs> Never meant to cause you any sorrow. Never meant to cause you any pain. Only wanted more time to see you laughing. Only want to see you laughing in the purple rain, purple rain, purple rain purple rain, purple rain, purple rain, purple rain. Purple rain, purple rain. Never wanted to be your weekend lover. Only wanted to be some kind of friend. Yeah. Honey, I could never steal you from another. And it's such a shame my friendship has to end. We all reached out for something new. That means you too. You say you want a leader. You can't make up your mind. I think you better close now and let me guide you through the purple rain. Purple rain, purple rain, purple rain, purple. Purple rain, purple rain, purple rain Only wanna see you, only wanna see you
2: Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks for listening. Yeah, I can totally do that.